and George Carlin is played by Pam Greer, which is just strange to say out loud. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the one, the only. There might be another Cecil. Uh, I'm sure there's somebody else out there named Cecil, but uh, but they're not me. And Peter won't be joining us this week because he's got. We talked about this last year when he did the same thing. It's October, and he's getting ready for Thanksgiving. Canada's a weird country, Cecil. Yeah, I think they all go to like, uh, what, what's it, uh, Phil, Phil Hortons? Tim, no, they all go to Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. They all go to Tim Hortons and eat turkey or something. Weirdo country. It really Freaking is. Weirdo country. <laughs> so it'll just be us tonight. So the scheduled topic is getting tabled. But before we get to the topic, you guys need to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight, we're going to look at what I actually forgot until I started looking into it. Might be one of the biggest years of movies ever. 1989. I remembered that 1989 was a big year, and now I, I just at a glance of the films, I'm going, my God, there were so many key films in 89. What would be your go-to? I don't even need to ask this, because I already know what yours is going to be. Do you think it's I think you're going to go Batman. You think I'm going to go Batman? Yeah. Uh, I, let's see. I would probably, I'm going to go when Harry mess out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to throw you for a curveball here. I am going to go with the director's cut of The Abyss. Well, actually, that didn't come out in 89. That came out in 91. Just the theatrical cut of The Abyss is 89. I know. So, but uh, hence the curveball, because it is like, and I do, the thing is, I like the theatrical cut of the uh, of the Abyss. I still think it's a good movie, but the director's cut is a much more complete movie. Actually, 1992, now that I think about it, I think was the director's cut for when that first came out. I didn't even get it until the, um. I mean, I saw, I think... It actually I, debuted on the Sci-Fi Channel. The Sci-Fi Channel was yes. the first place it came out, and then it You're came right. out on Laserdisc shortly after that. I think it was on like one of those Sci-Fi magazines where they were talking about it because they showed the still shot of the uh, the, of the the tidal wave, and I was like, "Oh my god, I need to see this!" And then yeah, I think that's when I first saw it. I saw it on Sci-Fi Channel, and then years later uh, they put it out on DVD. And that's one of the movies that uh, it came up recently that is uh, mysteriously missing from Blu-ray. And see, I'm going to go, we did a whole freaking episode on it, but Leviathan. I don't want to spend too much time on on the underwater movies because we did an entire 1989 underwater movies episode. Let's look alphabetically all of the great films because this really was, I I guess it's telling that it was the end of the 80s and we're going into the 1990s because this was a real door hinge kind of year because after this, Everything in Hollywood starts to change, which we'll look at more when we get into the 1990s stuff. This was the last year 
of a, of a lot of types of films that to see in the top 10. You know, you weren't going to see movies like Lethal Weapon 2 and all that in the top 10s anymore. That's really an 80s thing. First, we have, coming from Hong Kong, A Better Tomorrow 3. I didn't even know about this one. I seen one and two i didn't even know they made a third one yeah i'm i'm with you i uh i well i should say i knew it existed but for whatever reason i haven't seen it and i love the uh you know the chow yun fat god i one always say are great but i just Sui, didn't even know sui hark sui hark i think is how you say it yeah yeah they're they're great they're uh you know good uh you know chow yun fat action like with the uh, crime drama it's just uh cool yeah i'm kind of annoyed that uh i have now i'm reminded I'm like oh god i gotta watch this so yeah. All Dogs Go to Heaven, which is kind of a weird animated movie because this is definitely a kid's movie and it's literally dealing with hell, damnation, and the devil. Not something you would really see as we go into kids movies in the 90s, huh? No, well, kids movies before, like, really went into some dark places, like Watership Down and all that. Like, they're really, like, they're, they're kids movies, but they're, like, brutal kids movies. So, yeah, this was another one that, uh, it, it dealt with a lot of heavy topics and, uh, was, uh, it, to be perfectly honest, I miss that kind of honesty when we had kids movies that, that didn't uh, talk down to you. That didn't talk down to you, that didn't treat your children like idiots, and they weren't really like, they were children's movies that adults could enjoy. Now we get children's movies that, like, adults hate, and children just end up buying the merchandise. I I haven't seen this film since 1989, but I remember Always by Steven Spielberg. F***ing boring as hell. I never saw it because it looked like something that I wouldn't be interested in. We got Back to the Future Part 2, which everyone knows my feelings with the first film. I hated this one even more. Oh, boo, come on. Back to the Future 2 was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed it not as much as the first movie, but I think it is one of the proper sequels. Because a lot of times when you have a movie like Back to the Future that is such an iconic film, trying to do a follow-up to it, uh, the follow, you know, it has sequelitis. The sequel never really holds up. But I think that Back to the Future 2 is a really fun, good sequel. But you didn't like the original, so, it was, you know, of course, you weren't going to like this one. So, But then we have the film that changed Hollywood. Batman, Tim Burton's Batman. Literally everything changed after Batman. The entire model, the entire way of looking at things, the the merchandising. The only other film that had been merchandised prior to its release like this was Star Wars back in 77. Everything changed after Batman. So it doesn't matter doesn't matter whether you liked the original Batman or not. It was arguably the most important film of the late 80s, I think. Batman was I think a lot of people don't remember how big Batmania was. was a real thing. Batmania was a real thing. Batman, like it was insane. I mean, it like there were lines of people waiting to go see that movie. They sold the little bat symbol um flashlights. So people are waiting in line to see the movie and they're shining it in the air. The, the merchandising, the toys, the commercials, the everything, the tie in products. I it, Batman like it came on bigger than anybody expected. It was huge. And on top of that, because a lot of times when movies come out, they make a big fuss. It's not always good. I like Batman, the original one. It was su- such a departure. Now you look at it now and it's like laughable it's as far quaint. as it's well, not 
back then they were like, oh, this is so much darker than the pre- you know previous Batmans. And now you look at it and you're like, it's like comical. I mean, it's still fun and, and a good movie, not bad mouthing and not saying it's a bad movie. But in terms of it being dark, it's like so not. It's so like it's 80s, it's 80s dark. Yeah, it's 80s dark. But I mean, there was still some dark motifs in it. But um, I mean, it also blew up Michael Keaton's career. I mean, because, oh, my God, Mr. Mom's going to play Batman. And then Michael Keaton nailed it. Michael Keaton like was absolutely Mom, amazing. Though. Oh, I like Mr. Mom, too. Mr. Mom was a huge hit. You know, they were thinking of him in that aspect, not thinking of him as a badass Batman. And then, consequently, Batman 2 came out. He didn't want to do Batman 3, and they buried his career. And We also have, and I don't again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, because we did a whole franchise retrospective, Best of the Best with Eric Roberts' epic mullet. Yeah, I didn't see it uh until, you know, way later on cable. But, uh yeah, Best of the Best is good stuff. I don't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> and we have stuff like Christopher Guest, The Big Picture, which I only saw once and I barely remember. And then we have the movie that's not actually a 1989 movie. Another surprise, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Shot almost two years earlier, they thought the film was unreleasable, so they basically dumped it, and it became one of the biggest films of the year. I just watched this again two weeks ago. I still think Excellent Adventure is fun as hell. I adore this movie. It is one of those films that perfectly encapsulates the time period, but at the same time, it doesn't get dated. Like, there's a lot of films that will make old references and whatnot, but it just feels like this perfect little time capsule. mom, dude. Yeah. Shut up, Ted. I, I have a severe Oedipal complex. <laughs> it's so funny. Carlin, it's not that he didn't want to do the movie. He didn't think he was right for the part, but he was having his IRS troubles around this time. So he took it, and then he said it turned out to be so cathartic because it was so much fun to do. But when he read the script, he was like, I'm not saying no, I'm saying me? I just, you know, like he couldn't see himself as Rufus, but I can't see anyone but him as Rufus. Yeah, I can't see anybody but him as Rufus. And the thing, too, about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, what I think a lot of people overlook, it is a really smart, dumb film. They do. There's a lot of intelligence put into making dumb things happen. But like when they're when they're doing the thing with like they're in jail and how they work themselves getting out of jail like that's really clever you know all right remember to drop the keys at the and he drops the trash can on the on the one you know leave a trash can here in the you know and he's they're sending themselves like they're reminding themselves to do things in the past it's just it's so funny like i really love it i love and and the sequel is not as good as the first one but it does have william sadler's death who does end up stealing the show. And George Carlin is played by Pam Greer, which is just strange to say out loud. Yeah. Yeah, it is. When, 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 well, Pam, Greer, when Pam Greer unzips her face and it's George Carlin, you just kind of go, you know what, in this film that actually isn't the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's all right. I'm, I'm all right with this. But, oh, God, man. Now I really want to watch this Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure again. Great soundtrack. So much fun. Really, really great. And it, it granted, it wasn't his first movie, but it was the movie that introduced the world to Keanu Reeves. And Alex Winter, who I don't think gets enough due. 
No, Alex Winter uh, does not get enough due, but Come he on, kind Freaked of... is amazing. Oh, Freaked. Oh, my God, I the, love Freaked. is not Freaked. this year, but Freaked is a great movie. Freaked is tremendous. Does not get nearly the amount of, cre- of uh, attention it deserves. Just so much creativity in that movie. What a, and a hilarious movie. And then we come to... I, I, I'm weird about the movie Black Rain by Ridley Scott. I think it's a gorgeous movie it's almost a cyberpunk movie that's not a cyberpunk movie god has got it got a terrible script it has a paint by numbers crime story thin as hell characters black rain's a movie you watch but you don't pay attention to i i like black rain a lot i will admit you see everything coming a mile away the action and the uh the way that it's shot it does, I do agree, it does make it feel very kind of cyberpunk, even though it's not. It's but, got the neon everywhere, and it's raining, you got the urban... And, and motorcycles. It, it, and yeah, the, it's like, it's a the, cyberpunk, it's a cyberpunk movie that's not a cyberpunk movie. Oh yeah, and dude, when the one dude gets beheaded by the Yakuza, I mean, come on! There's really not a lot of other movies like it. It does, it's very stylistic, and yes, it is a shame that it's got a paint-by-number script, but uh, I think that the, the material does kind of end up elevating itself. Uh, I I enjoy it. I think it's always a good watch. Yeah, but then we also have Rudger Hauer in Blind Fury, where he's a blind swordsman roaming around the country doing good. I loved Blind Fury when I first saw it. It's so ridiculous, and it's played 100% straight. That's why it works. If they played it for laughs, it wouldn't work. But the fact they're playing it like straight, it makes it so you kind of can laugh at it. I like Blind Fury a lot. Another movie that uh, completely gets overlooked. I don't dislike this movie. I dislike the main character, and that's Born on the Fourth of July. It's a great movie. All the supporting cast work. And I'm not saying Tom Cruise doesn't do a good job in the movie. I just really hate his character. His character is an asshole from the beginning and is still an asshole at the end. I didn't want his character to get what he wanted in this movie. I wanted Willem Dafoe's character to get what he wanted. Tom Cruise was just an asshole in Born on the Fourth of July. I have not seen it since 1990-something, so I don't really remember all that much. The weirder movies on this list, which is one of my favorite all-time films, Joe Dante's The Burbs. This movie I can't say enough good things about. I know the movie bombed with critics and audiences in 89. The Burbs is one of the funniest, subversive... You talked about how Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a smart, dumb movie. This is the same way. Most of the characters are all stupid, and the plot is kind of stupid in an intentional way. The Burbs, like I said, I don't think I can say enough good things about this movie. This is Tom Hanks at his best for the 80s. Because remember, Tom Hanks wouldn't become the huge dramatic actor until the 90s. Tom Hanks steals this freaking movie. Yeah, big time. Um, I think The Burbs is hilarious. Uh, it is another case of showing, hey, let's give Joe Dante the creative freedom to just go nuts. He did, and he made a hilarious film. But well, like I said, it also bombed with critics and audiences at the time, so... You know, it, but, but that's, that's the problem is that a lot of movies, for whatever reason, they just, they don't get recognized at the time. And then later they become just these beloved films. So I think The Burbs is long since 
been a, a cult classic and uh, people love it now, but which unfortunately sucks because it's it doesn't help them at the time. I think if the Burbs maybe came out a few years later when Tom Hanks was uh, was big, it probably it would have it would have at least done better box office wise. It probably still would have not done well critic wise, but uh, would have helped Joe Dante and uh, maybe kept him in the you know kept him directing a little bit longer. But then we also have in 1989 we have. Cage with Lou Ferrigno and Reb <laughs> Brown, <laughs> where Lou Ferrigno gets shot in the head in Vietnam. I like wrestling. And you got Reb Brown being as unsubtle as Reb Brown is known to be. And this is not even getting into Cage 2, where you have Al Lee Young as an undercover cop. And Cage 2 is even weirder. Why is Cage not on DVD and Blu-ray? Like, we, the world needs to see Lou Ferrigno and Red Brown. And I like wrestling. Cage fighting. Red Brown's style of acting doesn't really go towards the kind of emotional character he's supposed to have. I don't know if I'm going to say his name right. I was, uh, Brand Scombe Richmond. Brassicombe Richmond. You know, yeah, from, uh. Brassicombe? From, I, I, I don't uh, know. He's, he, he's a guy who, he's one of those guys that can play any brown ethnicity. I've seen him play a Hawaiian, a Latino, a Mexican, and a, and a, and a Salvadoran in various films. And I don't even know what his real ethnicity is, but range? I believe he's, I believe he's, uh, Oh, he's okay. Let's look. He's English, French, Spanish, Native American, Native Hawaiian, French, Polynesian. There you so, go. So no wonder he he's got a lot of range. But I think probably most people know him from Renegade. But uh, I mean, he's you know licensed to kill, six killer, kills, CIA co- uh, target Alexa, Batman Returns, and he plays a gang leader in this, like stereotypical ASA kind of oh. gang leader. Yeah, Cage is uh, is a lot of fun. If if you can find a copy of it, it is totally worth checking out. Uh, if you're like the kind of uh, nom exploitation film, because it's you know they're I all. I actually recommend Cage two more. As weird as this sounds, you have to see the first film because Cage two is a direct sequel. But you have Reb Brown wearing a fake wig and fake mustache in continuity to try and go undercover in the cage fighting scene where <laughs> Al Leone is an undercover cop. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh my god, and Danny. Trejo was uh was a very a 1989 Danny Trejo was in it. I think he was one of uh, Richmond's gang, wasn't he? Yeah, he was one of the bodyguards. He really didn't do anything except like kind of show up. Oh yeah, he but... just stood there for a little while. I don't, think, I don't even think he had a lot of dialogue. Well, then we also have I haven't seen this movie in forever, but Cameron's Closet. I remember it being like a psychic kid film. Oh yeah, I. Haven't thought about that one in a while, have you? No, I haven't thought about that in quite a while. Yeah, it was like, uh, it, it was like a, a psychic thriller with the kid who had, um, like, he had, um, telekinetic powers and something uh, like that. Yeah, I haven't seen it in 25 or 30 years. I, yeah, I, God, I don't rem- remember it until you just mentioned it. But now, God, now I want to see it again. Well, and then we've got Casualties of War from Brian De Palma. I did not like this. No, I do not hate Michael J. Fox as an actor, okay? When he's cast right, he's amazing. He's not cast right in this movie. Sean Penn is fine as the crazy sergeant. Michael J. Fox, I never buy for a minute as this soldier trying to do the right thing. The script is not bad. The direction's not bad. Michael J. Fox is brutally miscast in this movie. Yeah, I think they were trying to make him uh, a little bit more of a serious actor. He has done serious stuff well. But just, yeah, he was a little in over his head here. 
Well, and then you got the kind of, I don't really want to call it a buddy comedy, but have you ever seen Cohen and Tate with Roy Scheider and Adam Baldwin? Oh my God. You know what? That's one of those ones where I know the name, but I don't know if I've ever actually seen it. It's worth seeing. It's not a great movie, obviously, but it's worth seeing. I've never read the book, but I've heard it's not a very good adaptation. Christopher Walken in Communion. And as somebody who gets creeped the fuck out by alien abduction stuff, Communion's a hard set because it's, it's genuinely creepy. Oh yeah, I, I didn't read the book, but I heard, yeah, it's drastically different from the, the book, but, uh, I still think that it was cool. You know, not 10 minutes terrifying like Fire in the Sky, but, uh, but still like good. And I thought, uh, you know, Christopher Walken, as always, is, is just creepy, but, uh, I, I liked it and, uh, I thought it was, uh, it, it did have a few of those really creepy, the doors opening and then the aliens peeking his head in and it's like, ah, and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, go away, go away alien well and then we had the somewhat pretentious i haven't seen it again in 25 years the cook the thief his his wife and her lover which i remember just being very very british i've never seen it well and you got like woody allen who i really do not like in crimes and misdemeanors pass you ever see criminal law with gary oldman and kevin bacon no i, I we are going to talk about cyborg from van damme because, okay, the weird thing about this movie was this was the end of canon. This was a last-ditch effort. Remember, the movie, we think of it as a hit because this is the film. It's not the film that put Van Damme on the map. Cyborg is the film that made Van Damme not a superstar but a star. You know, he 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 was a name before. Cyborg started getting him noticed outside of the canon sort of circle. Cyborg was the last-ditch effort of the original canon to try and stay solvent after Masters of the Universe. This was actually a film shot a couple of years, or maybe a year and a half earlier. This was arguably the last canon film, although technically Captain America would be, but that's just a legal technicality in 1990. Cyborg is a film I wish I could like. It's boring. It, what this is, this should be an Outer Limits episode. It's got an hour of story in 90 minutes. And I think that's its biggest problem is it has so many moments where the movie just kind of stops. Like they're like, hey, we got to hit running time somehow. When Albert Pune shot Cyborg, it was originally Slinger. He did this entire movie, like all the, the, the cast, they're all named after guitars. So you've got Gibson, you know, Gibson Fender, Pearl, Marshall, heavy metal story he did it and it's got this rocking awesome metal soundtrack and he did the whole thing and they took it and they were like no this is not gonna work got rid of the score did a whole new score recut the film kind of shoehorned things in to make sense so that's why cyborg is such kind of a mess is because they took the movie that was shot and then took you know whatever you know additional footage and whatnot and sort of rejiggered everything into the movie that it feels we- like that it still was it's kind of a shame I would have liked to have seen uh you know that version had been released but I don't know I don't mind the cyborg cut it it still is is a mess and it's a step off from what it was supposed to be but uh I think it's interesting enough then we also had Dead Calm, which I wasn't a big fan of. Dead Poets Society, oh Christ. It was saved by Deep Star Six, which even though I didn't like, Miguel Ferrar is freaking awesome. Uh Sean S. Cunningham, when when I met him, he was like genuinely happy because I, we I met him at the Friday the 13th reunion. And, uh, I said, you know, how much I really enjoyed Deep Star Six. And he's like, thank you. He's like, nobody talks about that movie. And I'm like, you don't have any like, mer-. he's like, no, it's Friday the 13th. So I don't have any Deep Star Six merch, but he was like legitimately like, like happy 
that I would, you know, that I would talk about that movie. I don't know. I like, uh, I mean, granted, of the, of the underwater movies, I know we talked about this, but I mean, it was, it, I didn't like it as much as Leviathan and, and the Abyss, but, uh, I still really like Deep Star Six. I, I think it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you got Miguel Ferrer, Greg Evigan. It's, uh, it's, it's fun little movie. Disorganized Crime, which I remember actually being funny. And then we got, ugh, Do the Right Thing by that fucking hack, Spike Lee, <laughs> who I think has never made a good movie. We also had, Dream a Little Dream with the, the Corys. Oh, a movie that, that I wanted great. to like, but I didn't. Oh, come on. Dream a Little Dream is, uh, you know, it, it's a Cory film, but I like a lot of the Cory films. And, uh, that one I really, now Dream a Little Dream 2, I, it's pushing it. I still enjoy it, but it's more cause I don't it's, think I ever saw the sequel. Oh, God, where you put on magical sunglasses and you get people to do whatever you want. But uh, it's got Robin Lively in it. I mean, uh, and uh, Meredith Salinger was not around one. for this. She, but I'm saying she was not around for the sequel. Kind of, I don't even. It was just hilarious that it's like, well, uh, you know, the girl who you were like completely in love with. Yeah, well, it didn't work out. So, but uh, I like Dream a Little Dream. I think it's uh, it's funny and clever and entertaining. And Meredith really Salinger, nice. Meredith Salinger, I was madly in love with at the time, and now she's dating Patton Oswalt. Uh, I don't like Spike Lee's movie either, with the exception of I like Summer of Sam, but uh, aside from that, I'm I don't really care. I don't, I just not really into his the Spike Lee joints. Well, we also had the big Oscar winner of Driving Miss Daisy, which is obviously not a bad film. I don't think you and I are the right audience for Driving Miss Daisy. No, we are the right audience for uh, riding Miss Daisy. <laughs> but then we also, we have stuff like Drugstore Cowboy, which I only saw once and I remember not really liking. Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives. I liked this movie and I don't think I should have. It's a lot more fun than I think it has a right to be. I loved Eddie and the Cruisers because it it really was a unique film. And I don't think anybody really expected it to to do as well as it did and kind of become a cult hit. And uh, and ha I mean, a large part of it is, you know, for the Dark Side song, which ended up being a hit on its own. I I avoided the sequel because I just I didn't I don't know. I, I thought that the ending for for part one was just perfect. And I didn't really want to sully that. So I never watched the sequel. Well, we also have elves this year. Yes. Where we have Nazi elves in a controlled incest experiment to create the Elfermensch. Because somehow <laughs> the, the elves are supposed to create a new human sub superhuman race. It's all kind of vague, but you know, you have Grizzly Adams running around doing absolutely nothing. Literally, if you edited him out of this film, no, it wouldn't change the plot in any conceivable way. I did a write-up on this when I worked at Fangoria, and I was surprised at how little the named star has to actually do in the plot. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> I I am amazed that nobody has snatched up elves like to 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 put it out on on Blu-ray. I mean, come, well, the world needs elves. The Elfermensch. The Elfermensch. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also have, and again, I haven't seen the movie since 89. I remember, I remember Eric the Viking being one of the unfunniest films I'd ever seen up to that point. Maybe the me of today would appreciate it, but I remember Eric the Viking sucking dick. 
I've never actually seen it. Well, we also have the Fabulous Baker Boys, which became a huge hit at the time with a couple of bridges in it and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, not my thing. Now, if it were Dee Dee Pfeiffer, that's a different thing. I, I got a thing for Dee Dee. We, we also have Field of Dreams, which I think is a profoundly stupid film. Oh, it's like, shit. It's like an Amazing Stories movie, but even more stupidly sentimental. Uh, I like Field of Creams better. Oh, if you stroke it, it will come. <laughs> I didn't know that one. I, I it did, uh, you know what? Neither did I. I just made it up. But it sounds ah, funny. it's it sounds like it. It. it I would be it's, willing it to bet that it exists, exists for all I know. I didn't see Field of Dreams until maybe ten years ago. I mean, it's. I think it's it's really well acted. I it, yeah, I agree. It does. It feels like a long, amazing stories episode. But it's just there's so much heart in it, and it just I don't know for what it, it just works. Like it, it it shouldn't work, but I think the performances and the uh, just the the honesty of everyone involved. You know, so I don't know. It just uh, it works. It it really just works. You know what movie did not work? Fletch lives. I nope. loved Fletch. And Fletch lives. I don't know this for a fact, but man, this feels like Chevy Chase got full creative control over Fletch lives. This is a Chevy Chase film through and through, and it does not work. Yeah, I was excited for Fletch lives because it's like you, man. I really liked uh, Fletch, and I was like, what, what the hell happened? It is such a steep drop off. It's almost like he's doing a parody of the first film. Or like he just doesn't understand why the first film worked. And then there's Food of the Gods too, which, okay, I'll admit it. I never saw. I love Food of the Gods. I actually forgot they had a sequel. Food of the Gods 2 is fun. You should check it out. It's got some, uh, some good stop motion animation. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of the same stuff that they did with the first one. A lot of force perspective rats and, uh, other things. And, uh, I think it's, it's highly enjoyable. If you like the first one, you will definitely like the second one. Still no Night of the Lepus. No, no Night of the Lepus, but, uh. Nothing is Night of the Lepus. No, I still don't know who thought, let's make a horror movie about rabbits, but, oh, there you it's go. It's not even rabbits, it's bunnies. There's a difference. Oh. Yes, it's bunnies. It's like, oh, they're the cutest. <laughs> and I'm supposed to, well, and then we get to see Dr. McCoy shooting him with shotguns. Oh, it's, it's just terrible. Poor rabbits. Oh, the 70s. Poor, poor bunnies. Or, uh, not, well, uh, well, we talked about, um, Kingdom of the Spiders, where they're just running over tarantulas in the streets. <laughs> yes. Like, holy crap. Ah, uh, 70s. Yes. We had arguably the final Friday the 13th of the Paramount era. We had Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan this year. Wow, this was not a high point for Paramount to go out on. Jason Takes a Boat Ride. Jason Takes a Boat Ride in Canada. I like 8, despite the fact that it largely takes place on the boat and, you know, the last, what, 15 minutes are in, uh, in New York and in then Canada. Well, in New York, Canada and, uh, and then the sewer Canada. I mean, but he, he punches a dude's head off. I mean, they, he not, he kicks the, the boom box. They did do a lot of fun with the short time that they were actually in New York. I mean, basically what happened was they had the idea and they couldn't afford to do it. I I still like, aside from the head-scratching toxic waste finale, uh, I still think that uh, it is a lot of fun. I remember um, my wife had never seen any of the Friday the 13th, so we did a full series run. And when we got to the end of 8, she's just like, okay did they explain this and i'm like no they they never it just it happened and we will never and speak we of it on. again and 
We will never discuss this again. Well, kind of like Ghostbusters 2. I- I'm torn on Ghostbusters 2. It's a terrible sequel, but the character, I mean, the, the, the plot is stupid. It retcons parts of the first movie, but the character interactions are so worth it. It's just the script and the plot are so bad. I think Ghostbusters 2 is, not to steal a phrase from you, a good bad movie. I think with Ghostbusters 2, I love Ghostbusters 2. Not as much as the first one, obviously, you know, but I still love Ghostbusters 2 because it's, you know, the old gang. Why back am I together. covered in goo? Yeah, why am I covered in goo? I think that, again, the characters are so enjoyable. You can tell Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson and Rick Moranis and Dan Aykroyd, not so much Bill Murray, but all of them are happy to be back. Like they're really hamming it up and having a good time. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not crapping on Bill Murray. I love Bill Murray. He was one of the reasons why it took so long. You know, I think that that's probably the biggest issue is that they they didn't do it they waited a little too long to do the sequel maybe they'd done it a few years earlier it may have uh they they may have been able to do it a little bit more but it is kind of a rehash of the first film there are a lot of things like you said there's some plot holes that don't really make sense as far as uh like hey new york was the retconning of the first retconning film is what angered me the most yeah like like hey they'd saved new york no it was all like oh, no it was and... all a scam yeah what? Yeah, this scam that caused millions of dollars of damage that they somehow were able to, these guys... And millions of people got to watch on live television. Remember all those TV news cameras at the finale? Yeah, they they pulled off the biggest scam of all time, apparently. It worked. I mean, the the whole, you know, having uh, a Statue of Liberty come together and bring, you know, bring the... Co- you know, with an NES advantage. With an NES advantage, hell yeah. But bring the uh, camaraderie of, of New York together, and uh, it, it worked. I still really like it. It has problems, yes, but the River of Slime was great, and uh, the comedy was great, and, and the practicals and the opticals, uh, the, the ghost effects and everything was just uh, really, really great. So I still like Ghostbusters 2. I think that it it is a solid follow-up that could have been better but still was good. Well, we also have one of my favorite 89 movies ever. Is it a great movie? Not at all. But I loved Gleaming the Cube. Oh, I'm Sorry. so happy. A Brother's that. Justice. <laughs> well, the Brother's Justice was the TV cut, right? A Brother's Justice was the alternate title. And in some countries, some foreign countries, it was released as that because Gleaming the Cube barely made sense in America. Can you imagine translating that to another language? Yeah, seriously. Gleaming the Cube is a movie that made me want to start skateboarding. I love Gleaming the Cube. Gleaming the Cube and, uh, and Thrashing both uh, are, are just two pinnacle high point skate movies. I love Gleaming the Cube. It's uh, it really it's a good skateboarding movie, but it's also a really good like teen detective movie. You know, the camaraderie between him and the detective. Was it Michael Nori? Was that who was there? Yeah. yeah, it was Michael Nori and uh just very unexpectedly dark too. Cuz I'm like, "Oh, it's this cool skateboard movie and and a kid dies." And there's a murder. There's a murder of a teenager and, and they cover it up. I'm like, "What?" But uh yeah, it's uh, it's really good. I I love Gleam the Cube. Another film that I don't think was we were the target audience for, I will never say Glory was not a quality film, but man, was I not the audience for Glory. Yeah, me too. Not really my, uh, I, I've never seen it actually, I don't think. But then we all, we didn't get the movie until about three years later, but Godzilla vs. Biolanti came out in Japan. 
I like this next movie, but I I have no idea how accurate it is to the real story. Great Balls of Fire is a surprisingly energetic and fun movie. Whether it's accurate or not, I don't know. Well, mostly because Dennis Quaid is just killing it. Like, he really sells the movie. Again, hey, I'm with you. I don't know how accurate it is to the source material, but uh he's going to hell while playing the piano. And Joe Bob Briggs is in it, too. Oh, yeah. So, wow. So, yeah, you forgot about him. I, it's been, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Well, then you got like Gross Anatomy with Matthew Modine, Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor, which I initially got excited about until I realized this isn't a comedy. And both those guys can do drama, but that's not what I went to an Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor movie for. And Red Fox for crying out loud. Yeah. And it's not a freaking and comedy. It's not a comedy. Why? Why you do this? But then we also got, speaking of Winona Ryder and Christian Slater, Heathers this year. Heathers is fun as hell. But that, you want to talk a dark movie. Heathers was probably one of the darkest comedies I'd ever seen up to that point. My son's gay and he's dead. I love my gay, my dead gay, dead gay son. <laughs> so dark. And Christian, Christian Slater is channeling. He's probably at his most Jack Nicholson in that movie. Big time. Yeah, totally channeling Jack Nicholson if if more than he ever has. Uh but I adore Heathers. Heathers is really smart and it's got I mean the performances are great, the script is great. It's uh it, it completely subversive. It really was like the uh the the anti, you know, teen movie that teens still enjoyed, really brutally mean spirited, and I love every minute of it. Well, then you got like Disney putting out Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, who cares? Boo! Yeah, in- I don't like that movie. Sorry, oh, it's a good movie. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which up to that point was the worst Indiana Jones movie. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It just means I liked the first two better. You like? I like uh, Temple, Temple of Doom. Of what Zoom? can I say? More than Last what? Crusade. What? Yeah. Uh, you, we, uh, I, sometimes it's like I don't even know you. Well, you got Johnny Handsome with Mickey Rourke, K9 with, with James Belushi, which I remembered being really terrible. And then I saw it again a couple of years ago and it was way better than I remembered it being. You got Karate Kid Part 3, which, okay, Karate Kid Part 2, I remember there was a reason for existing. The only reason Karate Kid Part 3 existed was, well, we need to make a sequel. Because Karate Kid 2 did really well, so why why not make us a, a third one? Uh, three wasn't all that bad. Three was better than than Four. the next Karate Kid. Hillary Swank. Yeah, I, I like I could see what they were going for, and the, like I didn't hate Four, but I mean you know because you got you know Michael Ironside playing the crazy psychopathic, psychopathic villain. villain for some reason. It's it is enjoyable, uh, but but yeah, I think three was when it was like. All right, well, he's not really a kid anymore. And he's kind of a douchebag now. Well, he, he like, well, I mean, that was kind of how they made, you know, Daniel's son, you know, they, he wanted to be tougher. And so he, you know, he wanted, so he joined up with, uh, with, uh, who was it? Um, but, it, but it, it, it was like a backslide, like everything he learned Thomas in part two. Yeah, but it was like everything he learned in part two, he just forgot. So yeah, I don't know. I still, I still like three, but I mean, definitely one and two really button up well. Three does feel off, but I still enjoy three. Well, and then we got another Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Cause remember I said Cyborg had actually been filmed you know, like a year and a half earlier. So we also got Kickboxer this year, which I think also helped, no pun intended, kick Jean-Claude Van Damme into the mainstream. Yeah. Kickboxer's great. 
I really thoroughly enjoyed Kickboxer. I think, I think that was the, that was the start of like when people are like, okay, you know, who is this muscles from Brussels guy? You know, that really did blow him up. I mean, cause, uh, if I, if I'm not mistaken, Kickboxer was a pretty big hit. Kinjiti, Forbidden Subjects with Charles Bronson, which it, it's a Charles Bronson movie. Yeah. I mean, like, really, I don't mean that in an insult way. It Throughout the 80s, Charles Bronson made the same movie, every movie. He certainly did. He really did. It know? was just Charles Bronson gets pissed off and then goes out and kills a bunch of people. And you know what? I'm fine with that. And then you got like Lean on Me, which, again, I don't think we're the right audience for it, but it's not a bad movie. It's pretty good. I mean, it was John G. Avildsen who did, you know, The Karate Kid and Rocky and all that. He does the, you know, the underdog movies. And uh, I actually like Lean on Me. But then we also have Lethal Weapon 2, which now I appreciate a lot more. When I first saw this, I was 14, and I loved Lethal Weapon. Hated Lethal Weapon 2. I hated it at the time. I appreciate it a lot more, although it is easily the most dated of all the Lethal Weapons, and that includes Riggs' mullet in the first film, because the whole apartheid thing... I had to explain to my son what the point of this movie was, because when I showed it to him, he didn't even know what the hell apartheid was. <laughs> Free Africa now, you dumb son of a bitch. But, but you're blick. But that's all got here. But you're blick. Uh, I like Lethal Weapon 2. I still like Lethal Weapon 1 the best. But, uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you in the same where, uh, I didn't hate two the first time I saw it, but, uh, I didn't like it as much as one. And, uh, I kind of was a little underwhelmed, but, uh, I watched it again like years later and I was like, I don't know what movie I saw last time because this is actually really good. So, uh, yeah, Lethal Weapon 2 is, is very good. And, uh, it's I'm just um, making sure I'm not standing on plastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had like moments like that. And then, uh, you know, uh, um, diplomatic, diplomatic immunity. Bang, bang. Immunity revoked. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, really good one-liners and stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very cool. Well, then we got Leviathan, which we already talked about at length. So license to kill. I'm not a James Bond fan. So pass. Ah, uh, License to Kill is great. Not as good as The Living Daylights. Kind of a bummer because, like, I thought that Timothy Dalton was shaping up to be a very good Bond. But once Remington Steele, you know, got out of his whatever contract and they're like, all right, eh, see you later, Timothy Dalton. We got <laughs> we got Pierce Brosnan now. We don't need you. Well, and then we also had Little Mermaid, which if you had a kid in the night, if you had a kid in the 90s, you owned The Little Mermaid, so I've seen it too many times. But the one I want to talk about is Little Monsters, because I think Monsters University plagiarized this movie completely. I'll just do a quick aside. I haven't, I didn't see The Little Mermaid until like five years ago. And Little Monsters, I don't believe I've ever actually... I, I know it from the cover. Well, and then we have Razzie Award winning Lockup with Sylvester Stallone and Donald Sutherland, which might just be the most unrealistic prison movie I've ever seen, and I'm including Escape from New York. Oh, lockup is a uh, poo on them. Well, then we have the first major league movie. It's a surprisingly fun movie. Is it a deep movie? No. It's basically the Bad News Bears as adults, but it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Major League is great. The only thing I think hurt Major League, they went PG-13 instead of R, and there's a few times where you could kind of tell, like, they dialed some of the, the jokes back a little bit. But still, a really great cast, funny as hell, and just very enjoyable. 
Well, we also have Meet the Feebles with Peter Jackson. I don't dislike this movie. There's something about the voices in it, because they have that New Zealand accent, and they're all very, very cartoony and high-pitched voice like that. I can't understand half of the dialogue in this movie, even though I know it's English. I love Peter Jackson. Like, I was a fan of his from way back. Like, I mean, I saw Bad Taste. I had to import it into the U.S., uh, and so I was ecstatic. Seriously? I, I remember renting that on VHS. Yeah. What the hell did you have to import it for? Uh, it wasn't available around here. And I saw that cover with the with the fat alien giving the middle finger, and I'm just like, how have I not rented this? Well, the funny thing is, the uh, the version, like, I know it's because they've since, you know, put it with him giving the finger. The version I saw, the cover is the alien, but he's given the peace sign. Because I guess they well, had... That's to, definitely not the cover I rented. They had to censor... I'm sitting here doing the finger. They had to censor the finger thing. So I got that, and uh, I was like, oh my god, I need to see this stuff. Oh, f- you know what? I, I am wrong. I am wrong. Okay, what it was, I rented... Because now we're going back so long. I rented Bad Taste, loved it, and so I had to import Meet the Feebles. Because ah, okay. Meet the Feebles was uh, was hard to get. Disappointed. I I didn't care for it. When you hear about it, when you hear about it, you're like, it's like the Muppet Show, but a hard R, super violent sex comedy? Yes! Then you go, but it's really not that good. I think what maybe factors into uh, why maybe we don't enjoy it is because it like certain things like this, it is a New Zealand sense of humor. And so we like whereas when they talk about like Monty Python and stuff with British comedy, you kind of have to have that ability to enjoy British comedies. But with New Zealand, there is a certain amount of. New Zealand comedy and I just uh it just didn't work for me and uh, I've tried a few times people are like oh you just need to revisit it and I watched it again I'm just like no, no it's still not very good it's I, I see what they're doing and I don't necessarily know that if it's not good I just think that it just doesn't work for me how about Millennium with Christopher Christopherson and Cheryl Ladd, the whole time-traveling plane movie? I meant to see that one. I remember um, like it kind of being a, a fuss when it came out and then just never did, surprisingly. Well, you got like Milo and Otis, the big movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I loved the other two. Christmas Vacation is easily the best one. I remember seeing this in the theater and just adoring it. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, yeah, it <laughs> shitters full. It is a rare instance where the third entry in a series is actually the best. Oh, without a doubt. But then we also, in 1989, we get next to kin. Patrick Swayze, Hillbillies versus the Mob. I I don't think I've ever actually seen next of kin. His brothers are played by Liam Neeson and Bill Paxton. Wow, all right. No, I, how have I not seen this? Patrick Swayze is a cop from the hills of Appalachia in the in the city of Chicago, and Bill Paxton has come there, and Bill Paxton gets involved with the mob and gets killed. Happens in the first five minutes, so it's not a big spoiler. And so he goes to get his family together from the hills, including Liam Neeson, and then they w- start waging war on the mob. He's married to Helen Hunt, and the leaders of the mob are Adam Baldwin and Ben Stiller. All right, I need to I need to rent this immediately. <laughs> Okay, it's not good, like the way a normal critic would say good, but for this audience listening to this, it's a good movie. Probably Cecil's favorite film of 1989. No Holds Barred. Yes! He smells dookie. (laughs) Dookie! I was out of wrestling at this point. I wasn't into this crap. I had, I remember I went to see this with my brother in the theater, and just, he loved it, but he's four years younger than me, and I went, 
can we just go do anything else now? It's terrible. It's a terrible movie. I will never say that it is a good movie, but it is hysterical. You jockass. Uh, it, I don't know. There's something about it. Like I, I'd like it. I, it's, it's a movie that you, you know, the kind of person that you can recommend it to, but, uh, it, it is very enjoyable if you are the right audience. Well, Parenthood also came out this year, which I didn't really like, but I did love Bob Balaban's Parents with with Randy Quaid. Oh yeah, I I knew it came out. Cannibal Parents, come on. We also have Penn and Teller Get Killed, which is a weird movie. Penn and Teller were huge, but this movie has almost been buried. First of all, it's strange to hear Teller talk a lot. In this movie, this movie's almost as dark of a comedy as Heather's is. I think the bulk of the entire cast gets killed in this film. It's a really weird movie. I I don't. I think what happened was because they were so big, they you know got away with murder, so to speak. They were able to put this thing together because like a lot of other studios might have hey maybe we should not do it this way or maybe we should do it this way or whatever but yeah it's a very dark odd movie and it is kind of sad that they buried it because i don't think that it's a bad movie uh it and it fits in very well with uh you know penn and teller in general so i think that uh they should have embraced it a little bit more you know it all it also has one line no this has been done many other times was the first time i ever heard this line do what you want to the girl but let me go (laughs) I'm sorry, I found that to be very, very funny. But then we got Pet Cemetery, which we'll gloss over because we just did a whole Stephen King retrospective. We got Pink Cadillac with Clint Eastwood and Bernadette Peters. It's way better than it probably should be. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I remember enjoying it. Prancer with Sam Elliott. But then we also have The Dolph Lundgren Punisher is a great movie that's a terrible movie. It's a great crime revenge thriller. And it is a hiss-poor Punisher film at the same time. Doesn't matter. Best Punisher movie ever. He comes into a room and shoots like a hundred ninjas. What more do you want? I I really adore. Like, look, I'm, I agree with you to a certain degree. It is a very good revenge action film. Not exactly the best Punisher movie. Does not matter. Still awesome, though. Well, we got Puppet Master, we got Red Scorpion with Dolph Lundgren. I remember hating this movie in 89, and I caught it earlier to early 2000s and went, this is not as bad as I remembered it being. Yeah, Red Scorpion's a lot of fun. Well, we also have Renegades with Kiefer Sutherland and Lou Diamond Phillips, which I like. Relentless with Judd Nelson, which I remembered being really good. But we also have another Patrick Swayze movie, Pain Don't Hurt. Roadhouse is awesome. I mean, it's (laughs) so insanely quotable. You know, just your mom's, was it Friday night thing or Saturday night thing? Uh, just, uh, Patrick Swayze is like the ultimate badass. Kelly Lynch was really pretty, even though she had the, the silly mall hair. Um, she also had the acting ability of a dead stump. Did not care boobies. It's just really, really fun, entertaining, like just, just great, uh, great eighties film. Well, then you got Roger and me from that pretentious prick, Michael Moore. You got Say Anything from Cameron Crowe. Eh. You ever see scenes from The Class Struggle in Beverly Hills by Paul Bartel? Surprisingly, no. A lot of fun. You have Second Sight, John Larroquette and Bronston Pinchot. I wanted to see this. I remember loving the trailer. My 
God, was this a terrible movie. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I I didn't see it until way later, but Second Sight, it looked like it was, you know, because I'm like, oh, my God, Balky and, and you know, uh, God, what was John Larroquette's? Like, Dan. Dan, yeah, Balky and Dan in a movie together. And where was the comedy? Like, when, did did they forget to put comedy in this movie? Well, it's kind of the same way with See No Evil, Hear No Evil. How can a Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movie that has this great of a premise have so few laughs in it? But I remember enjoying it. And the thing is, if you go back and you watch like Silver Streak, Silver Streak was more serious than it was funny. So I remember See No Evil, Hear No Evil having funny moments in it, but also being, you know, more serious. But I need to go back and rewatch it. Well, and then we have uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape from Soderbergh. I wasn't the right audience at age 14. Maybe if I went back and watched it again, I just remember this one at the time, I rem- you know, with a title like that. And I remember my mom didn't want me to see this, so I caught it on HBO or Showtime. This is the movie she wouldn't let me watch. <laughs> but then there is, my God, did you ever see She-Devil with Meryl Streep and Roseanne Barr? No. Holy God, is that horrible. (laughs) It's not even fun horrible. No, I avoided that. Well, you got stuff like Skin Deep, which I I don't think is a great movie, but the -the glow-in-the-dark condom fight is worth it for the entire movie. It it is the whole movie for that scene. I, I agree. It's, well, I mean, it's, um, uh, it was, God, the guy who did, it, it was a Blake, Blake Edwards. Blake it's, Edwards. Blake Edwards, you know, SOB. So it was like that, that kind of weird sort of, uh, you know, sex comedy for like middle aged people. So yeah, the, the, and that was when the whole safe sex thing was really taking off. So the glow in the dark condom fight is, fall down hilarious like it's legitimately funny and uh so that i agree that is definitely uh you know worth seeing and if you want to see uh zap from the american gladiators naked there you go i'd rather just watch slipstream where mark hamill plays a bad guy bill paxton has a mullet and ben kingsley is in the movie for two seconds and then gets killed while he has long hair for no apparent reason mark hamill rocking the badass beard white beard too and he's got like the big trench coat and he's the bad guy. How often is Mark Hamill the freaking bad guy? Well, you know, he was trying to, uh, you know, go against type and, uh, I think he nailed it. I thought he was a great bad guy. Oh, I did too. I'm not pissing on his performance. It was just weird. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. It was, uh, you know, come, cause I had seen this shortly after I saw Corvette Summer and it's like, oh my God, like you want to talk about a, a completely different character. Well, and then we have, and for all for all intents and purposes, Cannonball Run 3, Speed Zone. And it literally, this was made as Cannonball Run 3, but for legal reasons, you know, Cannonball Run 2 didn't do very well, so they changed the title. But Speed Zone is Cannonball Run 3 for all intents and purposes. And I remember it being not very good. Yeah, the they can't, as much as they try, they can't recapture the magic of the first Cannonball Run. We also have Star Trek V, So Very Tired. Shatner wanted to direct because uh, Nimoy did four and he got all kinds of acclaim and then Shatner wanted to direct one and, well, they met God. And shot him with photons. And shot him with photons. We also had Steel Magnolias. We are not the right audience for that film. No, we most certainly are not. I don't, I, I would not say that it is a bad movie, but it is definitely not uh, my cup of tea. But then we got Tango and Cash, which is another movie that should not work. Totally does. Tango, cash, cash, and tango. Come on, tango and cash. Now that is my cup of tea. 
oh yeah, like I said, it's, I love the movie, but in theory, it shouldn't work. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't- It should fall on its face in every conceivable way, but it doesn't. Doesn't Stallone say Rambo's a pussy? Yes. <laughs> It is incredibly enjoyable. I love Tango and Cash. It's I that's one I need to revisit. Troop Beverly Hills. What happened? Uh I don't know. Uh I'm not huge on Shelley Long, so I really you know, meh. Okay, how about Turner and Hooch versus K9? I actually think Turner and Hooch is the better movie, but K9 is the funnier movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, but but Turner and Hooch, like I I think you develop more of a bond with the dog. You know, and it's, come on, how freaking sad is Turner and Hooch? They actually kill the dog, though. It's like, <laughs> you did a whole video on it, but UHF, at the time, I hated it. I like it now, but I was 14, and I thought this was the stupidest, and I love Weird Al Yankovic, and I just, this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen at that point. Uh, UHF is brilliant. But yeah, I did a whole video. If you want to hear more, watch my video on it. But then you got Uncle Buck, which... I never understood the appeal of this one. My ex-wife loved this movie. All my friends loved it. My mom loved it. It's really not very funny. And Buck is a f***ing asshole. Oh. And I don't, I don't mean that in a lovable kind of, you know, we're going to get behind him. He's just a f***ing asshole. No, he's like a, he's a screw up, but he's trying to redeem himself. I, I love Uncle Buck. I'm in the camp of, of John Candy's performance is really what redeems the movie. He, like, I think John Hughes had talked about it and basically said... You, that, you talking about the TV series didn't recapture that magic? <laughs> oh, God. Forgot about the TV series. The next movie is one that's internet famous for the wrong reasons. Vampire's Kiss is a great movie, but most of the internet only knows the, I'm a vampire, 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 scene that goes around YouTube. And out of context, yes, that looks stupid. Watch the f***ing movie, though. It's a great film. It's been a while, but I remember enjoying it. And yeah, I agree. It's, well, like like anything on the internet, take something out of context, make a big thing out of it, say whatever it is sucks. Well, this next one I want to just gloss over because Warlock. I want to do a full Warlock retrospective at some point, but I remember loving the first Warlock. Oh God, you haven't seen it in a while. Warlock. It's is- been probably twenty years, but I remember. I remember Julian Sands is just fantastic. Warlock still holds up. Warlock because I I got the um uh they released a a, a Blu-ray for it not too long. I remember ago. Bruce Payne shows up as the Warlock in the third movie. Well, and he's not bad. I mean, he's channeling. Uh, he, he's he's still as over the top as Bruce Payne tends to be. But he's doing his best to channel Julian Sands. Julian Sands. But I mean, it's directed by Steve Miner, written or written by David Tui, and you've got uh, a score by Jerry Goldsmith, and just a fantastic performance by Julian Sands. Like he kills it. Like it's I saw it not too not too long they ago. Kill a kid and boil his fat, and he drinks it. Yeah, in a theatrically released movie. It's mean spirited and great, and uh, and all and Laurie Singer is just completely lovable in it. Red Fern, uh, Richard E. Grant is so good. It's a really fantastic film. It's totally still holds up. Well, then you got War of the Roses, which I remembered being okay at best. I thought it stunk. Weekend at Bernie's. I've never been a fan. I know everybody loves it. Not my kind of movie. I think it's funny. I like Weekend at Bernie's. When Harry Met Sally, f*** off. Eh. I hate this movie. 
I, I like when Harry met Sally and I don't, I don't like Billy Crystal very much, but, uh, I like the movie. I think that it's, uh, it's charming. And then we'll end off the movies with a movie that I think is a way better idea than it is a movie. And that is who's Harry Crumb. I think the idea is solid. The movie's not funny. We're not going to talk about the wizard, the, the 90, the, the NES commercial. I'm not going to California. California. Love the wizard. 1989 was a linchpin year. But let's look at the, before we look at the box office gold of the year, let's look at the box office deaths of the year. Let's look at the Razzies first. We have Worst Picture, Star Trek The Final Frontier, Karate Kid 3, Lock Up, Roadhouse, and Speed Zone. Star Trek The Final Frontier 1. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Worst actor, William Shatner in Star Trek The Final Frontier. Nominees were Tony Danza in She's Out of Control, Ralph Macchio in Karate Kid 3, Stallone in Lockup and Tango in Cash, and Patrick Swayze in Next of Kin and Roadhouse. Boo. Worst actress, Heather Locklear in Return of the Swamp Thing. Return of Swamp Thing is freaking great. We forgot to mention that. But also, Jane Fonda in Old Gringo, Brigitte Nielsen in Bye Bye Baby, Paula Perzvideva in Her Alibi, and Ali Sheedy in Heart of Dixie. And worst director, Shatner in Star Trek V, but also nominated for John G. Avelson for Karate Kid 3, Jim Drake for Speed Zone, Rowdy Harrington for Roadhouse, and Eddie Murphy for Harlem Nights. We have the box office. And this is where it gets weird, because I always remembered Batman being number one, and it's not. Number 10, Born on the Fourth of July. Number 9, Little Mermaid. Number 8, Ghostbusters 2. Number 7, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Number 6, Lethal Weapon 2. Number 5, Dead Poet Society. Number 4, Look Who's Talking, which we didn't even mention, but because there's a reason. Number 3, Back to the Future 2. Number 2, Batman. And I forgot that Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade actually outperformed Batman. Honestly, I forgot. I always remembered Batman being the number one film. I forgot it was outperformed by Indiana Jones. I think that um, while Indiana Jones made more money at the box office, I think that Batman made more money overall. And the thing is, it wasn't that – like, I mean, uh, Batman – was 430 11. million, but only 30 yeah, million. It was, but I mean, but when you're talking in hundreds of millions, when it's that close, it's, uh, I mean, cause if you look at Born on the Fourth of July was number 10 at 161, Batman had 411 million. So I mean, that's a big step up. So I think that, uh, you know, so that to Indiana Jones getting more money, I think that it just, um, it, it performed better theatrically, but with uh, all the tie-ins and the video games and the, and the, the toys and everything, I think Batman ended up making more money overall. And, uh, and honestly, they're both, they're both held in pretty high regard still. I think that, uh, even Crystal Skull did not, uh, it, it, people just kind of ignore that and then go back to Last Crusade. I think actually, I think Crystal Skull went the opposite direction is it made people appreciate Last Crusade even more. I think that could also be, yeah. Uh, so 1989 as a whole, until we just did this, I forgot how many really truly great films were in 89. I'd forgotten what a great year this was. Yeah. Uh, and 89 is, is phenomenal. I mean, there's just like hit after hit after hit, like legendary films of this year. So that said, Cecil, where can people find you? 
You can find me over at goodbadflix.com, uh, also goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, remember, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.